This is The Engine Room, Home Church Scotland's leadership podcast. Leadership is the driving force behind any organisation. Thanks for joining us as we share some of the things that we've learned on our leadership journey. So we've been obviously looking at leadership lessons we can learn from people. What you've probably noticed as we've gone through this Traits of the Greats series is that a whole ton of the greats have got the same traits and that's probably what makes them great. So if something you've heard has been said two or three times, that's not a bad thing or a boring thing. That's a, I must make sure that I apply that trait to my life if I want to do something great for God. If, if all the greats are doing it, then we should be doing it. So actually, it's been a really, really good series. I don't know what we're doing after summer, but I just know it's going to be good. Uh, so anyway, if you want to be a leader, clear communication is absolutely vital. So that's point number one. Clear communication is absolutely vital. And actually, as I just said, repetition is not a bad thing. John the Baptist had a really, really simple, really, really clear and really, really repetitive, uh, what's the word? Message, thank you, Mary. Tell you, sometimes you really help me, you know. Sometimes you do. Sometimes you get it wrong. Sometimes you get it right. It's brilliant. <laughs> I don't mean wrong. I mean what I was going to say wrong. You're very clever. Uh, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was his message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he just kept preaching it. And he just kept declaring it. And people by their droves were coming and repenting and getting baptized. And sometimes I think we can overcomplicate things. And I actually find sometimes people want things that are overly complicated. Um, I was going to say something there, but I'm not going to. I just think some, I, sometimes people want something that sounds intellectual, whereas I would rather just have a really simple, in-your-face, pure, solid Bible message, bang, that actually impacts lives, and it actually builds church, and it actually builds people up in faith. I like the complicated stuff too, um, but... If we can, I think if you can say what you're trying to say simply, you're not smart enough. Does that make sense? Do you know what I mean? It's like you can all, you can all be intellectual and sound or this and all that, but it's actually really, really important to put across a message that's simple to people that they can understand. And the number one message I want to get out from this church is repent because the kingdom of God's at hand. Like that, that's it, isn't it? Like Jesus changes lives. Give your, give your life to Jesus. And so we will talk about that a lot but I make no apology for it. So if you want to be a, a strong leader, then clear communication is vital. Again, I think just one of the areas where we've maybe went wrong over the past, you know, I don't know, decades really is we are preaching the most important message anyone can ever hear in a language that they don't understand by using really big jargon words from the Bible that we understand because we've been in church our whole life, but other people don't understand. Sanctified and justified and purified and refined by fire. That sounds like a ritual. That, do you know what I mean? Like that stuff's scary. What are you talking Refined by fire? Is this some sort of cult? Because they just don't get it. So you just need to keep things really, really simple. Jesus lived. Jesus died. Jesus rose again because he loves you to save us from hell so that we can spend eternity with him. It's really, really, really simple. Let's keep it simple and let's keep it all about Jesus. So clear communication is vital. This is also really, really important. And uh, you'll notice that I do this 
very well. <laughs> You're laughing, I tell you though. I'm not, I'm not being proud. Don't focus on your personal image. <laughs> John the Baptist didn't focus on his personal image, right? Ella's always on at me about getting haircuts and don't wear a yellow hoodie and don't wear ripped jeans and she thinks I have to look nicer and wear nicer shoes and stop looking like I'm wearing slippers and all that. Whereas actually, I just don't really care what I look like. You'll have noticed, by the way, I've now lost two stones in weight, right? Because I do care about self-control. But the losing weight was actually about self-control because I don't think it looks good. As a pastor, I can't talk about self-control if I'm not displaying it in my eating habits, right? So actually, me losing weight was about self-control and being an example, not about how good I look because I thought I was quite handsome anyway. <laughs> no, I'm kidding you on. <laughs> no, it's all right. No, but... John the Baptist wore camels here and ate locusts. Does that sound like somebody that cared about what they looked like to anybody else? Um, see, we, we live in a world that's obsessed with how people look and obsessed with identity. The only image I'm concerned about carrying is the image of God. That's what I want to carry. John the Baptist carried it. He carried it really, really well. If I'm carrying the image of God, I'm going to attract people to God. I don't really want to attract people to myself. I had a friend of mine. He went over to America to preach. Sorry, Asia, about this, but it's, it's true. I don't know if you've been in a church like this, Asia, right? But I have a friend of mine, true story, went to America to preach. And as the worship was on, there was a couple of worship songs left. And they, have it, they had it in Asia's uh, dad's church as well, where there's like a backstage area and you walk out and get intro. That's actually quite cool, right? But anyway, this, this pastor standing behind the stage with a couple of worship songs left and he's ready to come on and be introduced and preach his message. And someone brought him dumbbells and said, do you want these just to, just to pump your arms before you go on the stage? So the last thing that their pastor did before he went on stage was made his muscles look a little bit bigger and I was like, wow. Do you know what I mean? Like, no, I don't think that happens a lot in America, just to say, for you just say, I don't think that happens a lot. But it happened to a friend of mine. Would you like these dumbbells to make sure your muscles are pumped before you walk onto the stage? Because apparently if your arms look a bit nicer, people will respond to Jesus more. I don't know. I don't know why. But I was absolutely gobsmacked when I got, when I, when I got told this of this friend of mine. And, and it can be so, so easy for us to take our eyes off what we're meant to be. I know from reading about John the Baptist, they wore camels here and he ate locusts, that he wasn't really a good looking, attractive man. I don't think people watched him and were like, hello, I don't think that happened to John the Baptist. And if you read Isaiah 53 verse two, it tells us that Jesus wasn't some handsome king. Nothing about the way he looked made him attractive to us. That's what the Bible said about Jesus. Now we know Jesus is beautiful, right? But beautiful in character. We see these pictures of like what would be a model. That just wasn't what Jesus looked like. What, what drew people to Jesus was his character and the words that he spoke. So what's important for me is to carry a godly character and to carry a godly identity. And I don't really care about a six pack or nice arms or anything like that. Ella would say I don't even care about a haircut, but that's just been a, a logistical problem rather than an anything else. But does that make sense? John the Baptist didn't leave any room for the flesh to take over because he was so 
See, are you all right, guys? Good. Bless you. Uh, John the Baptist didn't leave room for any flesh to take over. He was so camel-haired and wild locust. He was so humble that he just didn't leave space. Even sometimes when... We, is any of us can get into our looks, any of us can get into vanity, any of us can get into wearing nice clothes, any of us can get into spending this and that on ourselves, like rather than maybe investing it. Like we can all, it's a very, very thin line, so we just need to be careful of it. So if we want to be a strong leader, we don't focus on our personal image, we care about carrying the image of God. Uh, number three, <clears throat> that's my big one, is we maintain our integrity. As a leader, we maintain our integrity and a kind of subheading to that is we never, ever water down the gospel, ever. We never, ever water it down, which can be tempting and so easily done because we live in a society where calling a spade a spade can offend people. So, but when it comes to the gospel, we don't water it down. We maintain our integrity. John the Baptist made so much noise and so many people were drawn to him and so much commotion was happening around about him that he was visited by the leaders, the Jewish leaders, they'd heard about what he was up to and they wanted to go down and see him. Now he could have been nervous about that, could have been shaken about that, could have been thinking, if I say the wrong thing, these guys have got the ability to put me in jail or ultimately as he, as he was to find out, people had the ability to kill him eh, back then which we don't have now, there could have been a whole lot of emotions and all sorts going through his head, but he maintained his integrity, his message, and his strong convictions. It tells us this in the Bible, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? That's a strong message. He didn't change his message because of who was coming. He didn't drop his integrity. John the Baptist was not afraid to preach the gospel ever or to anybody. Um, he preached God's word to anyone that would listen to it. He's not scared to call out the religious elites as they would, as, as they would be known. He's not scared about letting anybody know that they're no exempt from sin. And they let everyone know that they had to repent. That, that encouraged me this morning, to be honest with you. See what I see with, with the engine room stuff? I only prepare this on a Tuesday morning. So Tuesday morning's my early morning where I get up at 6 a.m. so I can be here early to prepare engine room. And, and I only do that so I can be disciplined about having my day off on a Monday because I'm no worrying about looking at stuff for the Tuesday. So I don't look at it till Tuesday. But I'm aware when I preach, I call people out and I call churches out and I call mistakes out. I do, I know that. It's just who I am. And some people don't like it. Uh, and I'm not saying they're wrong and I'm right. I'm just saying that's who I am. And that, that, that's who I'm always going to be. But somebody said to me, you always get the nice feedback and you always get the funny feedback. And somebody said to me, oh, I don't like how you keep talking about mistakes of the past or how you're maybe calling out uh, other places. Now, obviously, I'm not actually calling out anything specific, but I really believe in calling out the mistakes of the past so we can move forward with our future. But I genuinely believe from Scripture that calling people out isn't wrong. I don't believe calling people out 
is wrong. And I want to kind of explain that. John the Baptist called people out and Jesus called people out all the time. Matthew 23, um, Jesus is speaking to a crowd uh, about the scribes and Pharisees. He called the scribes and Pharisees out to a crowd. He didn't just have a private chat to the scribes and Pharisees about his concerns. Um, He didn't decide to just preach an alternative message. Jesus Jesus could have just preached the truth and let them keep preaching what they preached, but he didn't. He pointed out the fault and then he preached the truth. And I think it's really, really important to do that. So Jesus publicly addressed deadly doctrine in these religious leaders um, because people had to be warned that what they were used to wasn't right. What they'd been taught for years wasn't right. Uh, That's what Jesus did and and he didn't hold anything back we have this thing in the business world right where if you want to give someone some constructive feedback something you want them to improve what you get taught in any leadership course is you give them a positive then you give them a negative and then you give them a positive it's like a positivity sandwich right Jesus didn't do that with the scribes and Pharisees and stuff he didn't go you're doing this well that's a joke and you're doing this well he was just like you vipers you hypocrites, like he just called them out every time. Um, So he doesn't go easy on them. He doesn't give them the benefit of doubt. He clearly and boldly pointed out their doctrinal error, their unrighteous actions. And he used very, very strong at times, but appropriate language. And he warned them of the consequences of their error. And he called his listeners to reject the false teachers and their deadly doctrine. And you can't really call folk to reject false teaching if you don't tell them what the false teaching is. So I'm aware I call out false teaching and I'm aware I call out nonsense that's done in church. But I believe that's my calling. So some people might not like my style, but I don't believe it's biblically wrong to do that. Um, The religious authorities of the time were preaching lies but calling it truth. And I see that today. People are preaching nonsense, but they're calling it truth. And uh, Jesus publicly called them out for it. Matthew 23, verse 4. Jesus is preaching this publicly, saying about the Pharisees, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. He goes on to say later in that verse, Woe to you, blind guides if i look at just some of the things jesus said to religious leaders woe to you scribes and pharisees hypocrites for you tithe mint and dill and cumin but have neglected the weightier matters of the law so he's not just calling them hypocrites he's pointing out publicly what they do that's wrong so that other people don't make the same mistake this is what you do you're tithing all of this stuff but you've neglected weightier matters of the law justice mercy and faithfulness these you ought to have done without neglecting the others matthew 23 23 and again woe to you scribes and pharisees hypocrites for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence you blind pharisee first clean the inside of your cup uh, and the plate on the outside may also be clean then later on in matthew 23 it says jesus lays bare the unrighteous actions of false teachers. So in Matthew 23 alone, Jesus calls the scribes and Pharisees hypocrites six times. Besides that, he calls them blind guides, blind fools, blind men, 
whitewashed tombs, son of those who murdered the prophets. I mean, that's a big one, you son of people who murdered the prophets. Serpents, brood of vipers. Do you get my point? Jesus doesn't, doesn't shy away from calling false teachers exactly what they are. And I actually think if Satan can convince church leaders to not call out false teachers because we're too scared to, he's actually winning because the false teaching can just keep being preached. So if people are too scared to call out false teaching, we're all in trouble. And so my conviction is I'm going to be pointing it out and calling it out. Jesus is meek and Jesus is mild, but he calls out false teaching. He draws a line. Um, we are called to speak truth where error has been spoken. Um, there are a lot of people who preach her heresy under the banner of heaven and I'm not happy with it and I'm not going to accept it. That's where I'm at. Now, caveat to that, it's absolutely true that we are warned against slandering people, right? I don't agree at all with slandering anybody. Slandering is calling someone what they're not. That's what slander is. So when the Bible warns us against slander, it is calling someone what they're not. Um, but where God is slandered by false teachers, I ain't going to stand for that. I'm not going to miss someone and hit the wall when they're talking mistruths about the God that I serve and the God that I love. Um, nor will I risk anybody under my care thinking any of the stuff that they've been falsely taught over the last however many years they've been a Christian is true. So I really just believe we're called to preach the truth. Jesus doesn't just call people out publicly when they're there either. He warns people against them. He's preaching in Luke 12 and he says, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees because the hypocrites, they weren't even there at the time. And Jesus is saying, don't be like that. You have to be like this. And I think that's really important. He says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. And I know why Jesus does this. And I believe we need to learn from Jesus. For me, one of the best ways of teaching someone what you want to do is to use a clear example of what you don't want to do. It's really like we do it in schools. It's a really, really good way of teaching someone how you do this is by not doing it like that. And unfortunately, honestly, the truth is that most of the lessons I've learned in church is I don't want to do that. I ain't going to treat people like that. I'm not going to hurt people like that. I'm not going to ignore people like that. I'm not going to... I've not had, a, unfortunately, 40 years in church. I don't believe I've had that many good examples in my life. That's sad, but it's the truth. So that's kind of how I've learned, you know. And so I think that's... Uh, I think biblically it's okay to be pointing folk in the right direction by looking at how we maybe went wrong. And I know that that might make some people uncomfortable at times, but I don't want to risk home church making the same mistake as many other churches have made in our nation. Because again, and I make no apology for saying it because it's not an opinion, it's factual. The church in our nation is in a mess. That's why they're small. That's why they're empty. That's why there's no community impact. That's why people are leaving hurt all over the place. I want us to be a healthy, healthy, healthy church. I want the people in our church to be healthy. I want our ministries to be healthy. I want our leaders to be healthy. 
Um, one of the one of the ways that like you get taught for your body to be healthy isn't just filling it with good stuff, it's cutting out the bad stuff. So I've not, I haven't lost two stone by going, I'm going to start eating apples and strawberries and that. If I started eating apples and strawberries and that, but didn't stop eating the Big Macs and that, I'd actually be heavier because I'm, I'm adding calories to my calories. So eating healthy food doesn't make you healthy. Cutting out rubbish and only eating healthy food makes you healthy. So I feel, uh, you know, a call in my ministry is to call out the rubbish and teach you healthy. Does that make sense? And I, and I, I, I believe that's what we're called to do uh, as, as home church. Second Timothy 4 verse 2 says, we have to preach the word. We have to be prepared in season and out of season. It says we have to correct, we have to rebuke, and we have to encourage. Rebuking has stopped happening in church because people are too scared to offend people. We're called to rebuke when something is happening against Jesus. We are called to rebuke it. I'm certainly going to do it and I hope you're with me. Now we have to do it with patience and careful instruction so you don't just rebuke and not give instruction, which I, I hope I never do that, but you rebuke and you say, here's where to go. Here's how to improve. Here's where you have to do differently. So anyway, that was my big point. You'll be pleased to know. Maintain your integrity. Never, ever water down the gospel. And fourthly and lastly, really simply, always give Jesus first place. Always give Jesus first place in your life. John the Baptist was famous for these words, I must decrease and Jesus must increase. John the Baptist had a phenomenally powerful ministry, a massive ministry where queues and queues and queues of people were lining up to be ministered to by him. And then when Jesus started ministering, some of John the Baptist's followers were going, are you, are you all right with that, John? Like, he's stealing your thunder, mate. Yeah, I must increase in Jesus. I must decrease and Jesus must increase. That's what it's about. It's never, ever about us. We never come first in our ministries. Our ministries never come first in our ministries. Our vision never comes first in our ministries. Jesus always comes first. Look at a guy like John the Baptist, living in a desert, eating wild honey and locusts and wearing camel's hair as clothes. John the Baptist, despite that, make no mistake, was a celebrity. If he wanted to be, he could have made money. He could have... He could have extracted anything he wanted. He could have moved to a nice big house. He could have had all sorts of stuff. He would have benefited from a self-promotion campaign on Facebook. Do you know what I mean? He could have been one of the big cheeses, but he wasn't interested in that. All he cared about was to point people to Jesus. And actually his refusal to build his own ministry was countercultural, even back then. Because mankind's problem's always been the same of wanting to promote ourselves and be the biggest name we can be and have the biggest ministry we can have. Um, John refused to build his own ministry. He only cared about building the name of Jesus. And that is all I care about in home church. I said it before, I genuinely mean it. I don't care about the name of home church. And I certainly don't care about the name of Dave Brackenridge. I care about the name of Jesus. And I want to do everything we can to lift up that name. So be weary, be wary.
of spiritual leaders who are phenomenal at self-promotion. I know some of them and I'm uncomfortable with them. Uh, and actually a lot of them can preach a lot of good stuff, to be honest with you, but for self-promotion is evident in a leader, I take a step back because I'm just not really, I'm not in for that. I'm not for that at all. Does that all make sense? So I hope that helps. Uh, one more session of this series to go and then we'll be on to something new. Hey guys, thanks for joining us for The Engine Room. Why not follow or subscribe to this podcast and feel free to do the same to our social media pages as well as our YouTube channel. Find out more about our church at homechurchscotland.org.